to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com sluts and scholars is a podcast produced by sluts and scholars media llc it is a shame-free educational podcast made for your entertainment and informational desires only the podcast any opinions we share and any resources including social media and emails from us are not therapy medical care or professional advice and do not create a patient-client relationship. None of the information, opinions, suggestions, resources, or exercises mentioned in this podcast should be used without clearance from your healthcare provider. All opinions, information, and ideas expressed by the guests are solely their own. If you need emergency mental health or medical help, please call 911 or 988 or go to your nearest emergency center. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And you know I love a good sloppy second, so I'm excited to welcome back one of my favorite sluts, Zachary Zane, now with his newly published book, Boy Slut. He is a Brooklyn-based columnist, sex expert, and activist whose work focuses on sexuality, culture, and the LGBTQ community. Uh, The Boy Slut book is a memoir and manifesto. He is also the co-author of Men's Health, Best Sex Ever. He writes Sexplain It, the sex and relationship advice column for Men's Health. He's also the founder and editor-in-chief of The Boy Slut Zine, uh, which publishes real sex stories from kinksters worldwide. And his work on sexuality and relationships has been published in New York Times, Rolling Stones, Washington Post, GQ, Out, and so many others. Welcome back, you boy slut. Thank you. Thank you for having me back on. I'm excited to get a boy slutty here. Okay, so people can read this more and more in your book, obviously. But for this season, I've been asking folks what's the uh, most pleasurable thing they've done lately. Um, So that can be sex, but it can also be like, you know, other bodily pleasures. Hit me with it. What has been the most pleasure? I mean, for me, it's probably going to be sex. I figured it, it might be. <laughs> um, I, I did enjoy that. Uh, my partner works like late night shifts. Um, okay. and I just last night, so the, she she got back at like four a.m. and uh, I woke up to her giving me a blowjob at four a.m. and that was a awesome. And this was pre negotiated. This was we were allowed to do this. So we have a rule when we're sleeping, we're allowed to do this. But we had never actually done that before, and that was awesome. And I think that's probably why I woke up at four a.m. yesterday. Because I was like, my body's like, all right, ready to go. Let's do this. She conditioned and I'm like, you. Uh, you were yeah, like, she, I, why do I have a boner all of a sudden? Yeah, what's going on? But that was just an unexpected <laughs> surprise and something like she had been talking about for a while and really wanting to do like, hey, like I, I can con- like leave your door open. I'll come in after a night of going out and we can hook up. And I'm like, awesome. So that was just like a, a fun, unexpected, pleasurable thing um, that I got to experience just two nights ago. Are you able to go back to sleep after that? Or does that like ruin your sleep? I mean, after you come, you go back to sleep. That That's the beauty of it. I feel like if I did not come, I would be like up and hard and like kind of tossing and turning. But <laughs> Yeah, because we were just talking before we started the show that you were like, I didn't sleep well last night, but you didn't mention the dick sucking. I, I think that's why. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, really, I really don't want to become uh, conditioned. I, I, I This can't become a habit. I need to be able to sleep without this. Like go back to melatonin. I, I think that's what we're going to have to use instead here. Yeah. Um, I feel like in my in my youth, I guess I'm 
I would like to think I'm still in my youth, but in my youth, that would have been fun. But now I'm like, if you love me, let me sleep. Like I'm trying to, it seems so fun. And then I'm like, don't fucking wake me up. It's, <laughs> don't wake me up. I, I think once every four months we can do this. I, I got <laughs> at this point, we, I do need my quality sleep and, uh, yeah, that's pretty funny. No, I, I, I also can resonate with that as well. <laughs> okay, so if I'm someone who's reading your stories and hearing your stories, it sounds like you have a lot of options and experiences. Um, I know we talked about this a little bit on the, the last show, but, you know, being a slut can be so many things. You don't have to be having sex all the time to be considered a slut. That is one version of being a slut, but you can be a slut and not be having sex, but just be obsessed with your own sexuality. Um, but yeah, if I'm reading your stories, I feel like you have a lot of fun experiences. And today I'd really love to talk about like, if someone who has a lot of experiences, like ever experiences rejection, like, have you had to deal with a lot of rejection? Uh, all the time. I, I feel like the more you put yourself out there, the more likely you are to get rejected. Um, but it also gets easier. Uh, it may not seem like it, especially when you're getting rejected uh, like often here but i think almost when i have that buffer of like oh i i've had had people who want me um and are excited by me and i know that there are other people who will be excited and want me and so it's almost like you don't have all your eggs in this one basket the same way that i actually think it might make rejection a little bit uh smoother yeah what's been helpful for you in like tolerating it it's it's so funny. And I talk about this in my book, Boy Slut, A Memoir and Manifesto, and on May 9th, it's, um, you know, I used to be wh- horrified of getting rejection. Like, like I could not talk t- to literally anyone I found attractive or was interested in romantically in, in any capacity. And I know you talk openly about like growing up too and feeling like you were not someone who people were as interested in yeah i I mean it's i'm so happy it's the opposite someone as a awkward ugly kid who grew up to be attractive thank god it's that and not not the reverse here but it's um yeah i I was mortified and i took rejection so personally i Mm -hmm. I, like i assume that if this person did not like me um then no one's going to like me and it's and it's clearly that they I, again even just the way that i framed it right it's like oh it's that they don't like me it's like that that's not what rejection means and there you know there can be a gajillion reasons why people aren't interested in you that actually have nothing to do with you or it does have something to do with you this one person didn't like this one aspect of you mm-hmm. okay okay but it was one of those like it, it's tough because i've been talking more about rejection and I wish I could give you like a quick three sentences being like, and that's how you overcome rejection. And now you can go out into the world and it will never hurt at all. And you'll be able to do it. I, I think things that have helped over the years is also realizing that you're the same person. You know what I mean? I wake up the next morning and I'm still me. I'm still alive. like everything else. Like nothing actually changes in your life when you're rejected the vast majority of the time. And I also think having a friend group and a community that really gas you up, uh, like in a good way, not just like in a way that's like completely unwarranted or unfounded. But I think when I did take rejection more personally and really thought it spoke to like who I am at my core and I am not any something that anyone would ever find appealing, talking to my friends who being like, 
hey, Zach, like we love you. Uh, we know people will love you. You are attractive and smart and funny. It's this one thing. So it just allows you to kind of get out of your head when you're able to talk to someone else and to not kind of spiral down this like, I'm worthless, I'm terrible, uh, when you're able to talk to your friends. Yeah. And I'm not even thinking about it just in terms of sex. Like I'm also thinking about it in terms of career and yeah. stuff like that too, right? Like you're putting yourself out there so raw, rawly um, with this book, right? And, yeah. and how is it going to be received, right? Or like for me, like if I put out this podcast or content, like what are people going to say? What does that mean? You know, like there's so many other pieces too. And, and I wonder, it, how, does that sort of transfer over for you? Honestly, the work rejection is even more painful. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I think for me, someone saying they're not interested in me sexually or romantically, of course, it's a bummer, especially if we've been on a yeah. few dates and I really do find uh, that I had a connection with this person. I really like them. And it turned out yeah. I, this was very one-sided. Of course, that is a bummer. But um, like, really, for the book, like now that I finally... like People have started reading it and I've started to receive feedback. It, it's yeah. a lot... I feel a lot better about it. It's like, oh, people like it. Thank God. Oh, God. Okay, no, it has helped them. It has helped them yeah. overcome sexual shame, embrace their bisexuality, embrace their kinks, be open to various different relationship styles. Okay, it's achieving what I want it to achieve. Mm -hmm. But before I had that, I would cry like once a week. I I'd have a freak out attack and just cry in my room for an hour being so worried mm -hmm. about the reception of this. And again, and that is a form of me fearing rejection it's fearing mm -hmm. uh you know work rejection but again this book is so like it, it, you're reading about my whole life so if mm -hmm. you don't like it, it feels extremely vulnerable and it feels like your whole life is wrong <laughs> yeah versus like oh that person didn't i'm not that person's type yeah okay i'm not gonna be everyone's type versus this is like oh you you like this really is like as i kind of said you can compartmentalize it when it's sexual or, or romantic being like oh it's just this one at like you're not everyone's cup of tea, but for this, because it really is my whole life like laid out mm -hmm. <laughs> on the table here, it does feel quite um, painful and vulnerable. But yeah. again, I think the thing that's helping me combat that is the fact that I know that it is going to be for a lot of people as well. And a lot of people are going to learn and grow and love this book and knowing that I'm not going to be for everybody. And I don't want to be for everybody. I feel like that would make me so broad and personality-less and generic and yeah. th that's not who i am um so almost in both of these romantic sexual and then also like a work capacity i think a lot of it comes from another buffer of getting that validation and love and support elsewhere is what kind of helps you um take this rejection or dislike um less personally or, or painfully yeah. And, and I hear that like one of the things that helps you work through it is to be like, well, I have had experiences or I know that there are people who are my people, right? People yeah. who are interested in me. And so I do want to name that like Zach and I are like two able-bodied, um, like white cisgendered people. Mm -hmm. And so this is different, obviously, when you're dealing, when you are maybe part of a marginalized or minority population, whether that be accessibility, race, whatever, that like that's a different thing that I talk about on the podcast, I think a lot more in terms of like people's types um, and things yeah. like that. So I think it's much harder when folks who are someone that people don't maybe often choose because then they might not have experiences to be like, oh, this is when I've seen me or people like me liked. Because then you're it, like, I don't have any, ex maybe many experiences to lean on to be like, oh, there's people for me and to trust that there are, you know, because it might be 
It might be less. And I talk about this in the book too, specifically with regard of a chapter on kind of like grinder and hookup culture, like like mm. gay by specific male hookup culture. Yeah. Um, and because there's obviously so much racism on the app, so much femphobia on the app, HIV shaming, transphobia, fat phobia, and you would think like queer people who have been marginalized and discriminated against would be potentially kinder to their peers. Nope, we we are not. Uh, we are not at all. And so I, I kind of, I do my best to address this and I acknowledge kind of my privilege beforehand because yeah. this isn't exactly my experience. But I also mentioned to discuss kind of the ramifications of grinder and grinder culture and not touch on these things would also be obtuse. Like, like I do yeah. have to address these things. And I often get this as like a sex explain it for the men's health column when people write in. And this is when it comes down to finding your community, finding your people. Yeah. Um, and making sure, you know, if, uh, well, this is just like research wise, what is shown to be the most effective to combat that. So we're talking about what I would call minority stress. So for people who yeah. I've talked about on the show before, but for people who don't know what it is, it is, um, a level of stress in your body experienced by folks who are marginalized or in a minority status or at the intersection of minorities. And so what happens is your resources to just like function in the world become depleted before you even start your day just due to this minority status. And so the antidote to that is community, um, yeah. is connections. And so the, it's like, this is not just, this is like research proven. Yeah. And that's the way to do it. And usually depending on what it is people are marginalized for or the discrimination that they're yeah. experiencing is when I give specific advice and trying to be like, hey, I looked up a few resources or a few events or a few parties or a few communities yeah. that I think you're going to find your people there and you're going to be welcome and accepted and embraced and loved. And so much of this fucking book is really dedicated to finding a bisexual community specifically and the importance mm. of finding a bisexual community. Yeah. Um, because I feel like so many of us, uh, like bi people, uh, when I say us, bi, yeah. and when I say bi, I mean bi, pan, queer, fluid, omnisexual, yes, it, polysexual. If you're, if you're curious about this topic, we talked about it a bit more in depth on our first episode. So yeah. make sure you check that one out. But yeah, and, and it's being like, and one thing, actually, my brother read the book, uh, and mm. it was pretty funny because he's not exactly the audience for it. And he's like, I loved it. It was great. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. He's like, what I think you did a great job of, in particular, is showing by people that your life doesn't have to be just gay or just straight. And it's not you um, picking this between these two or navigating between the two, but you can actually find or create a bi community where it's not you just expressing one like one side of yourself. And the mm -hmm. importance of a bi person existing in a world where it's like, oh, no, this space is for all of me. I'm not hiding. I'm feeling like I'm hiding an aspect of my identity. Mm -hmm. And showing by people that that is an option that yeah. that because i mean for me it didn't seem like an option and that's what was the struggle that i experienced where i felt like i was either like among my gay friends or among my straight friends and i couldn't embrace all aspects of myself and couldn't be around other bi people and yeah. discuss specifically the things that um are influence my identity as a bi person influence my life as a bi person that is unique from being gay or from being straight totally yeah. And, and just for those of us who are neurodivergent as well, we may experience more increased sensations of rejection. So for folks who haven't heard of that, it's called like rejection sensitivity, or some people call it uh, rejection sensitivity dysphoria. Um, but 
for neurodivergent folks, a lot of us spend most of our days going over every little interaction we've like ever had with anyone <laughs> in the world. And it can be really heavy to, to, um, to carry that. Uh, yeah. And I think evolutionarily speaking, like we're supposed to care a little bit about what people think about us for survival. And so some of us are just evolutionarily overdeveloped to care so much <laughs> to make sure yeah. that we are surviving. Um, and for the people who are the rejectors, <laughs> uh, or the people who aren't, who are saying, oh, well, that person's not my type, you know, I invite you to think about how was your type formed? You know, I think a lot mm -hmm. of us have this thing where we just kind of flippantly are like, oh, it's not my type. And yeah, maybe there's something to that, but to ask yourself, like, where did I learn what my type is and what is it about this person that's, that's rubbing me the wrong way just to help you do some like internal work not saying that's going to make you then want to fuck that person, but at least to be like, what's, what's happening for me here? Why am I having a reaction to this person? It just having an openness. That's yeah. all it is. Especially when people are like, Oh, I don't date X, Y, Z, what, whatever yeah. that label is. I'm like, okay, you're writing off an entire group of people without knowing yeah. them. Yeah. Um, and uh, more often than not, it's in a group that, uh, we've been conditioned to believe are not, you know, sexually desirable. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it's coming from that. And again, I, you don't have to sleep with everyone. You're allowed to reject people. You're allowed to find yourself more attracted to a group of people. That is okay. But I think, I think all we're both asking for is just like, Hey, be a little reflective, be open. Yeah. And, and honestly, I think you will end up having more rewarding sexual and romantic experiences when you do open the gates a little bit more. Yeah. Do you remember that shirt that they used to sell on Melrose that said, I don't date 818? <laughs> that is hilarious. And as someone with an 818 phone number, I, I need I I'm need like, that shirt. I need that shirt. I wonder if they still have it. I, I don't know if that's the antithetical to what we were just saying. But I yeah, do. Yeah. <laughs> as an 818 person, as yeah. that's internalized. I know. We're both Valley so girls. For people who don't know, 818 is the area code, the phone area code of the San Fernando Valley for us Valley girls. And um, for a long time, there were these shirts that were sold not in the Valley that just were so said, I don't date 818. Because that's like, where the the less wealthy people live i don't know it's it's internalized valley phobia is what i have so <laughs> yeah. i also I, I also don't eat what date 818 no um <laughs> it's yeah it, it is just so tough rejection and and, and I, it's yeah. like sorry go, going back to that though it, it's uh, what other advice do you have uh for people in terms of overcoming mm. rejection because it's uh, it's tough it's a really tough one yeah. I mean, I think, like you said, there's no key. There's no magic wand where all of a sudden you're like, wow, I've crossed this bridge and I'm never going to care what somebody thinks about me ever again. Um, you know, I think, like I said, which wouldn't even be beneficial. Right, <laughs> evolutionarily, like if we are social creatures, so there is some need to maybe like care a little bit ethically, like what people are, how people are receiving you. Um, and so to me, I really like to reframe it as like a, an ongoing muscle and ongoing work in progress that you have to like ready your arsenal for basically and like gather as many tools as you can a big one being community so that you can manage it when it comes up and i do think it gets less over time but it's it's more about like this is a thing i'm going to have to face every day in the world because of so many different factors so how do i make sure that i have all my tools at the ready for when it pops up and when it when it triggers 
And, and it does get easier. It's something where it's like, if you are 20 and somehow not afraid of being rejected, you are superhuman. You are absolutely superhuman because I feel like when you're younger, you often don't have the data points, right? It's like, oh, I've only experienced rejection yeah. at this point. Therefore, yeah. you believe I'm only am going to experience rejection yeah. versus me in my 30s, somewhere in that range. In my 30s, it, it's... um you know you have enough data points where it's like yes people have rejected me and people have also accepted me and embraced me and loved me yeah. and at the end of the night i i don't need 15 people to love and embrace me i'm looking for one yeah, I person need 20. to have to- yeah, I need 20. I need, you know, you only need that person to have one romantic connection unless you were trying to have a threesome or an orgy, at which point better luck next time. But like, you know, you don't need the acceptance and love and approval of everyone. If 14 people reject you and the 15th one you have an amazing relationship with, fabulous. That, that That's yeah. it. I think the other longer answer for me, and this is one that I am continuing to work on in my own work, um, is I find that it is easier to take the and I don't even like to say rejection, but the, you know, the, the not right now people or the people who are not my people. Um, I find that it's easier to take that in if I'm choosing me. So I think this is kind of like a cheesy answer to say, like, if I'm taking enough care of my like inner self and my body and my inner child, so to speak, and I'm really like choosing myself, I find it a lot easier to not care what people are underthinking. But yeah. if I'm not taking the time to take care of myself and I'm just looking externally, um, and then at the same time, I'm doing too much. I'm not self-caring. Mm-hmm. I'm not like setting up quality time dates with myself. I'm like, my body is sort of like, well, you haven't even chosen us. So why the fuck would anyone else choose you? So I, I, I don't believe in that old trope of like, no one can love you unless you love yourself. But like, if I'm not actively putting an effort to show myself how important I am, yeah. the weight of other people's disinterest is so much heavier. That's such a great way to frame that. Um, it's fucking hard. It's hard though. It's hard. Yeah. And one thing I also talk in the book, as someone who's now gotten a lot better with rejection, I yeah. still struggle immensely rejecting people. Yeah. Let's hear like- Let's hear a story about your rejection. Would let's you be st- willing to share for some yeah. story time? Yeah, Mostly, I, I just want people to be able to listen to your... Um, your voice so that because you do the audiobook too, right? I, I do the audiobook for Audible. Uh, uh-huh. Of course, right now I have a little bit of sore throat. I'm a little raspier than usual. Uh, spring sexy. Start, sexy <laughs> Cough all over me, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. It's uh, spring started like th- three weeks ago, and I've just now have a cough and post nasal drip until I die, or I guess until I don't know for how long. But um, yeah, so I often, so in the book, I have a chapter on rejection. And I discuss, um, obviously, how I struggled with the rejection, how I did my best to kind of get over it, a little bit of what we discussed, but how I currently struggle so much with rejecting other people. And in part, it's two reasons. Number one, I know how painful it is. I, I know how painful it is. And as someone who is um, uh, an empathetic person, I'm like, oh, God, I, I'm causing this person pain. And, and that sucks. That, that, that's just a shitty feeling for myself. And then a lot of the people, when I am very, you know, kind, but also direct in rejection, respond with anger, respond mm-hmm. with frustration or sadness. And in a way that makes me almost second guess, hey, like, sh- maybe I shouldn't have been as direct and kind. But it's like, no, the answer is to be direct and kind. That That is it. And even though sometimes people respond poorly in the moment because rejection is so painful, 
yeah. letting them trying to feel their emotions and also knowing that like, I, I didn't do anything wrong. You know what I mean? I, in fact, I actually did something the, the right thing by being honest and not ghosting them or not like just like petering out and being like, oh, sorry, I'm busy waiting two days to text back. And you know, that is even more painful. But that is kind of like, I, cause I'm starting a little bit in the middle of the chapter. So that's uh, mm-hmm. after I talk about this experience where I rejected someone and it did not go well um, mm-hmm. in that they were very upset with me. Yeah. And I probably could have been more communicative about what I wanted up front, but I wasn't because I'm in college and I'm still learning and growing and we're college kids. Anyway, I'm going to read a little bit here. Sorry for the preface. Um, My therapist once told me that anger comes from unmet expectations. There's an incongruence between what you want and what you get. I thought that was such a simple definition of anger. In the case of Cafeteria Girl, she wanted me, but I didn't want her. So she got angry, either from the rejection itself, how I delivered the news, or both. And since then, she hasn't been the only one. Multiple sexual partners have accused me of using them for sex, being careless with their feelings, and leading them on. This is why people ghost. People don't want to deal with the thorny process of rejecting someone. They don't want to be chewed out and called an asshole or witness an intense emotional response. They also don't want to get dragged into a longer conversation, which has happened to me quite a few times. Unpopular opinion If you're in the early stages of dating, say one to four dates, I don't think a larger conversation is warranted. Yes, you deserve a kind and direct text or phone call, but nothing beyond that. After all, you weren't looking at wedding registries. You might not even know their middle or last name. All you know is that they're a Libra and that you have a thing for air signs. Maybe if we had a healthier ways, maybe if we had healthier ways to internalize and respond to rejection, there'd be less of an incentive to cut ties without warning. Instead, because no one wants to receive the wrath of someone we had two slightly above average dates with, we never text back. On the other hand, when we are rejected kindly, our response is still often anger. I'm sorry, but you can't have it both ways. And this is me, a bisexual, saying this. I hope I don't sound like I'm victim-blaming. Yes, you are entitled to your feelings, including anger. But I do hope we can learn to put things into perspective if we're, if we're getting rejected after a one-night stand or a couple of dates. I want us to get in the habit of responding to a kind rejection text with, what a bummer, but I really appreciate you being honest and direct with me. That said, we also need to get better at letting people feel their emotions, even when those negative emotions are directed towards us. And this is something I clearly struggle with. Um These days, I'm better at handling rejection, but I still struggle with rejecting others out of fear of their response. There are times when I should say, hey, I had a fun time connecting, but I don't think we're a match. Yet I don't always. And this is something I'm working on in therapy. I continuously wrestle with, quote unquote, doing the right thing, because no matter how hard I try, I still feel like a piece of shit when someone lashes out. Often they'll say I have zero right being a sex and relationship advice columnist. I'm not ethical the way I claim to be, and I'm trash like every other fuckboy. When this happens, I don't feel quote-unquote good about my decision to be direct. Quite the opposite. I'm encouraged to not be direct the next time I'm in a similar scenario. Still, I try to tell myself that I'm entitled, that if I am entitled not to want to date or sleep with someone again, they're entitled to think I'm an asshole. That's something I have to live with. While I know I'm not responsible for their feelings, it still sucks knowing that I hurt a good person whose only crime was liking someone who didn't like them back, 
or at least not how they wanted to be liked. I also try to remember that while I see my partner's initial reaction, I don't know how they're feeling two days, two weeks, or two months uh, after. Odds are they're happy I didn't draw out our mismatched relationship longer. Maybe they found a perfect partner right after me. And if even if they don't come around two months later and still pray I choke on a croissant, that's okay. That's their choice. I wish I could give you some actionable advice about how to give and respond to rejection more productively, but beyond encouraging you to not take it personally and in that moment taking a few deep breaths so you can respond rather than react, I'm not sure what else there is. And then a little parenthetical here. Think of reacting as being an instinctive knee-jerk response caused by overwhelming emotions, whereas responding is a more thoughtful approach considering the desired outcome. Reacting is emotional, whereas responding is emotional intelligence. Nevertheless, don't let fear or rejection stop you from having sex and finding love. Don't let the pain, uncomfortable conversations, or getting chewed out turn you into a jaded old queen. Allow yourself to feel your emotions, give space for others to feel theirs, and then move right along. As Lady Gaga once said, there can be 100 people in a room and 99 reject you, but all it takes is one. And then I have a little joke, unless you're a poly, at which point maybe you need two to four people. Uh, and that person can change your whole life. Yeah. So that was kind of the, the stuff, like, again, as I wrote this, I thought it was a little bit of a spicier take because often, like, people really respond poorly to rejection. I'm like, you know, like, it's also really tough to reject people too and to do so kindly and to not ghost. And I kind of want to give those people a little bit of credit, you know, as well, because yeah. they're, they're doing something challenging too. Um, yeah, I had, a bun- I had a bunch of thoughts that popped up. I mean, I think one is that I think rejection act- can activate like a primal fight or flight in us, right? It's sort of that threat of like you're being kicked out of the safe community. And so I think a lot of people immediately, their nervous systems go to like a survival mode because that's maybe how it used to be. Like if you're not I- accepted, it, you're in danger. It, fi- it fires the same parts of your ba- brain as experiencing physical pain. Like, yeah. like, like rejection is like literally painful. And, and when you experience physical pain, it fires off the same yeah. things in your brain as rejection. Like we, we experience it as pain. Yeah, that. And then I also think of like, just to name for folks who struggle with letting people down or saying the thing, this isn't obviously maybe shouldn't be applied to situations where you might be in danger. Of course. Right? I think, course. you know, some people do ghost because there's a safety concern and that yeah. to me is very valid. Um, you know, or their their flight response get gets kicked in, and that's something to to look at. Um, or people are afraid to do that because they're literally worried that someone will like harm them um, it, if they reject them. It, it's oh, absolutely no. And I, I think I, I touched on that earlier, being like, yeah. th- this is assuming that you have safe conditions safe, in order to do totally. this. Um, but I had a rejection recently, or I was dating someone for six weeks, and it was an intense six yeah. weeks. You know, that that could be a lot, but again, it was six weeks, and she would send me emails. And I realized we often had conversations where I, I thought they went well. Yeah. And, and then after the, she left, I was like, wait, wait, did, wait, wait did, did I express why? Wait, where did we stand with that? And it, it was a, a way that she, she, I feel like, would sometimes use like spirituality and openness in a way that was like, I would kind of express a boundary or something not good. And she'd be like, well, you're, you're growing and changing. So let's see what happens and let's see where you end up. And I like, it sounded good in the moment. And then afterwards, I'm like, wait a minute, what happened? Mm. But whenever I would have these conversations with her, like I thought they went well and then they left. It didn't. And I I realized I'm like, you know, for, for breaking up, 
I, I actually don't think I can do it in person. If we have this conversation, I'm going to end up yeah. c- kind of confused and, and not yeah. potentially in, in a place where it's like, oh, I, I expressed what I wanted to say. I think I might come out of it um, not expressing this or like somehow in a deeper relationship, which ended up yeah. like happening. So I sent an email because we often would uh, talk via email being like, hey, given what we had discussed and we discussed in depth, I really think we should just be friends. Yeah. And and the like, in the it, she waited a week and then responded with like a twenty five hundred word email, just eviscerating me. Oh. And like things that I kind of told her in confidence about my like, my intimacy issues and where I'm struggling, like she kind of like threw it back in my face in a way that I was mm. really not expecting. Yeah. If I'm being honest, like there weren't like those kind of red flags the same way, and I thought she would be more <laughs> understanding, but she was really hurt that I did it via email. Mm. And I was like, I actually think I had to because when I have these conversations, we've had a bunch of these. I kind of get as someone who's like very direct and clear, like I kind of realized that she was maybe actually not direct and clear and kind of would use spiritual language to kind of not express exactly what it was that she was thinking. So I was left kind of confused. I'm like, I need to be able to express something directly. And the only way I can do this is via an email and text, which is not again, ideally what I wanted to do, but I think that was important for me to do. Yeah. I mean, I think here's what's feels hard about that is, I often will tell clients, right? Like if someone reacts poorly to your boundary, that says more about them than yeah. it does about you. And if you have like a multitude of people who are like, I don't like the way you break, you know, reject me or set boundaries. When do you think it is time to like look at oneself and who do we do that with? Right? Like it's hard. Cause on one hand I'm like, well, fuck what they think you made a boundary, like, you know, good on you. And then I'm also like, and if I'm, getting a bunch of the same feedback, like when do I look internally and and who's like a check and balance for me? It, it's the, the question isn't what I've realized is, did you set the boundary you think you set? Um, it is something that I realized I had run into where I thought I was very clear about what it was, let's say I wanted out of this relationship or what yeah. I could offer. And um, then midway through, they'd be frustrated with me for, and I'm like, well, uh, well, hold on. I, I, I expressed this and like, well, well, no, you did. I was like, okay. So like making sure you're able to maybe. Yeah. Like actually are communicating what it is that you want to communicate. Cause I think that was something that I struggled with. And cause I had a little bit of a pattern in terms of rejecting people or people. The, what I struggled with is people thought I was leading them on. Mm-hmm. And I got that enough times. So I'm like, am I leading people on? Um, well, cause I could also see that being like, sort of like a slut, sh- I guess I would say slut shaming thing for you. Right. Where I think people do similar things to like maybe sex workers where they see you being outwardly open about all of a lot of sex capades and things that you do. And then people project onto you, um, who they think you are. And then they're it, mad at you because they're like the quote unquote one person you didn't like or something that you should be willing to fuck everyone. Oh, I definitely get that, especially because my brand is so slutty. It's like, I still yeah. don't have sex with everyone. You guys know yeah. this. Like, like, like I, I don't. And when I, they think I do. And then it becomes more personal mm. that I did not um, like sleep with them, especially because they're mind like, wow, he fucks everybody and I'm the one yeah. person. It's like, well, no, I don't actually. Like, I still do reject people. Yeah. But to what I was saying a little bit more so, like, I also, and I spoke about this with my friends. It's really sad, actually, the realization where it's like, Often, even though I, I would express, let's say I want, I do not want a primary partnership. I'm solo poly. I'm focusing on my book. I, I like, I've, I thought from the beginning, I'm very clear about what I can offer and give, how often I could speak. People would kind of misconstrue my actions because like, 
I still like doing cutesy things. And mm-hmm. so like, oh, I still want to hold your hand. Oh, it's your birthday. I want to take you out for dinner. Like, and that's something I take out my friends for dinner. I actually hold my hands, hands with friends for dinner. Yeah. But the, kind of these actions were always perceived as being on a relationship escalator. Mm. Um, oh, he does this. That's because he likes me and wants more for me. Versus yes, I'm we like, love to try to mind read and inf- interpret instead of just listening to what someone says. <laughs> exactly. And so they're like, oh, your behaviors didn't match your actions. I'm like, no, what? So congruent. do you want me to like, do you want me to kick you out after we have sex? Would that, would that make it like clearer to you where we stand? Like we can't cuddle, we can't do nice things. And what like, so I kind of was like, A, I have been now so clear about what I want in the beginning. And B, I actually had a really healthy conversation trying to learn from my mistakes with my new partner. And we had been dating not long, a few months. And when we first started dating, I was like, hey, I really like you. I like spending time with you. Um, I don't see this as being my forever relationship. Uh, I I don't see us as getting married. I actually think for my queer identity, it's really important that my primary partner end up being a man uh, in order to be perceived as queer and part of the gay community and that's something that is really important to me. Um, I would like to date you for the foreseeable future um, is like, and I want to be able to do nice and cutesy things for you without you thinking, oh, this means more. I want to be able to take you out to dinner and do these things. And often I've run into this issue where even though I say this, people then perceive my actions as being on this relationship escalator. Um, Is this something you'd be okay with is this something that you would like and she especially because she is 32 and potentially would want kids i don't want to quote unquote waste her time for a year or two years if this is like oh i'm trying to build a family right now so i wanted to be open about that for that reason as well and her response was thank you for letting me know all i want is for you to be happy and if that can be with me great if that's not with me great you know, if you do find, you know, primary partner that ends up being a man, like, please do not kick me to the curb. I don't want to feel like I was used and disposed of. Uh, like, I, I would like to be in your life in some way and we can navigate what that relationship is going to be. Um, but now that I know this, okay, okay, I, 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 I can kind of work with this. And it's allowed me to be more present in the relationship, do what I want to do. We have relationship check-ins. We had something recently where she was like, hey, you know, um, I've been struggling a little bit with this more than I thought. And yeah, like logically easier than yeah, when it really lands. Yeah, exactly. And she's like, I've been struggling with this. You know, I really do care for you. I really do love you. And um, it's, you know, usually when I know a relationship isn't going anywhere, I kind of like just start checking out and moving that. And I also, when we started dating, she had another serious boyfriend of like five, six years that I thought she was going to marry. And then they broke up. So then, then I think that kind of, changed our relationship dynamic to being a little bit more intense than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And I was like, Hey, what, is there anything I can do right now? Are you just sharing? And she's like, no, I'm just sharing to share. I'm feeling a little weird about it. It's being a little bit more challenging. I'm like, you know, we can always, um, kind of change the nature of our relationship sooner than later. You know, it doesn't have to be something if we want to potentially stop sleeping together or if we just want to hang out less or text or. And she was like, I think I just need to go on more dates with other people. I think I haven't been dating because I had that breakup with him. And then I kind of fell into your arms and now I'm ready to date other people. And I think that would get me more excited. Um, I'm OK with sitting with this discomfort right now. There's nothing for you to do. I really appreciate you just listening to me. Yeah. And 
uh, let's let's reassess in a few weeks to see how I'm feeling, if this is something that is sustainable for me or if it is just kind of a little bit too much and we need to de-escalate or just change the nature of our relationship. Yeah. And what awesome conversations. <laughs> Sorry, can I just say that? Yeah, no. But I, healthy I think... fucking awesome conversations. <laughs> but like, I think that takes work, right? This is like probably a lot of insight work, therapy, like knowing how to self-regulate, um, knowing not to like ask someone to maybe take on your feelings. Like that is hard work and good job. Good job for her. And like, there was something recently she was like, oh, I feel like we don't have as many cute date nights as I want. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Like I really am in book press mode right now. And like, even though I might have a night or two off, like me leaving the couch is really hard when I've been up from and she's like and she's like no don't apologize you said this from the beginning your book is coming out you have a two-month book tour where you're gone to like 10 cities yeah. you're doing press every day for it no you're right I'll, I'll I'll start going on like I was like oh my god like is this what healthy communication is is, is yeah. this what understanding it is and I think she has a definitely a, a level of kind of self-reliance and assurance and another community and friend where it's like, I'm not her everything. So therefore it's easier when I'm not her everything. Um, yeah. I don't or, know. or not trying to like, I mean, I think a lot of us just unconsciously repeat our trauma, right? Where we're like, you said the thing, you said you couldn't do this, but a little young part of me wants to feel really special. And I bet if I'm just lovable and cute enough, you're yeah. going to change your mind. Oh, and then you don't see. I knew I, I knew I sucked. I knew I yeah. was a piece of shit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm just repeating that story until we die. <laughs> yep, that is. Yeah. No fun. <laughs> no fun. Uh, well, to end on a, I mean, <laughs> a higher note. <laughs> I mean, I think we had a fun time talking about rejection, but um, to end on a a little bit of a the pleasure side of things um sure. your book and then i know we have to wrap up but your book is full of a lot of other fun types of stories and kink and and wild things so just as like a last final teaser question um what's your favorite kind of sex to have that doesn't involve penetration oh um or even uh, genital touching genital touching okay so first i'll do without penetration okay uh i, I think someone just literally face smothering actually it's just like when like someone, someone's sitting on your face yeah someone's sitting on my oh, face yeah. like and eating their ass and they're just like cheeks are like eat like to the point where like and we get I, to decide when you breathe <laughs> yeah exactly i'm like to the point that you cannot breathe where like i will have to physically push you off to be like i am choking i, I need air like that's gonna be I, how you have to die when you're ready to die that's that's how i want to go like that's my form of like euthanasia is <laughs> like me being like and he got smothered at Death 88 years old yeah so that is uh just truly a happy place and like ha like i have just straight up like come from now no one touching me just like me eating an ass and then i'm erect and then just like and they're like whoa what the fuck? i'm like i don't i can't even say anything because my ass is being smothered oh no my face is being smothered by ass but that is that is still you know it's still genital part because we're talking about buttholes here and booties um i I mean, especially when I had my nipples gauged mm -hmm. and unfortunately they are not anymore. They became so sensitive. Mm -hmm. um, like, and it gauged me like they were to the point that they, they were sagging. I was trying to join the elite group of older gay men who have like the saggiest fucking nipples. I love that aesthetic, but it's because they've literally had like weights on their nipples for so long. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I like that aesthetic. I want to be one of those older gays with that. <laughs> so I was gauging my nipples and they were getting super saggy. I had to take them in and out for this gay water polo team that I was on. And then uh, they closed up, unfortunately. 
But when I had them pierced, like just like pinching my nipples or sucking on them uh, felt so, so good. So I got them re-pierced. I can show, I can show, I can show a little nip here. Yeah. Uh, I got them re-pierced. There we go. But I I went in and I I was like, hey, can you re-pierce me with my old nipples, uh, with my old rings? And he's like, no, (laughs) with my old nipples. And he was like, absolutely not. I'm like, why not? He's like, these are huge. I'm like, no, I used to have them in. He's like, no one's going to do this. So now I have to work my way up again to get those saggy nipples uh, (laughs) to have extreme sexual pleasure. Um, So, yeah, those are those are two things. Uh, love it. Beautiful. Well, if folks want to read the rest that is going to be available come May 9th, um, how can people uh, get in touch, uh, buy the book, all the things? Yeah. So you can buy it anywhere books are sold. Uh, it, it is one word. And the reason why it actually is one word is because of sex negativity and sex shame. You can't have like slut will be um, k- kind of banned or removed from certain search engines. Mm. So it is boy slut one word. But you can get on Amazon, Bookshop, every single bookstore, everywhere, some sex shop stores. I'm going to be traveling and doing a book tour. So I'll be in LA, SF, Chicago, Nashville, Boston, New York. If you head to my website, ZacharyZane.com, hopefully I'll be in a um, city near you. If not, I have a couple virtual readings. So that way you can join. Uh, I'm also pretty active on Instagram, ZacharyZane underscore. Less active on Twitter because it is not good for my mental health, but I still am there periodically. Uh, Also, ZacharyZane underscore. Um, And the pictures with the book are so cute. So you must check them out. (laughs) Yes. And I just got some more. Now that I have the hard copy of the book and not the advanced reader copies, I just so hard copy. (laughs) Um, I just got some more cutesy little photos too that I'm excited to post. Awesome. Well, so glad to have you back. Um, listeners, again, if you want to follow what I'm doing, I'm on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, sometimes on Twitter at Sluts Scholars. Uh, you can listen anywhere you get your podcasts or at slutsandscholars.com. Please don't forget to rate and review if you like the show and check out those advertiser discounts because the more you support them, the more you support the podcast. And don't forget to get Boy Slut on May 9th. Sluts and Scholars is a podcast produced by Sluts and Scholars Media, LLC. It is a shame-free educational podcast made for your entertainment and informational desires only. The podcast, any opinions we share, and any resources, including social media and emails from us, are not therapy, medical care, or professional advice, and do not create a patient-client relationship. None of the information, opinions, suggestions, resources, or exercises mentioned in this podcast should be used without clearance from your healthcare provider. All opinions, information, and ideas expressed by the guests are solely their own. If you need emergency mental health or medical help, please call 911 or 988 or go to your nearest emergency center. We hope you enjoy the show.